and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. everyone, James Day here recording live from the Focus on Pocus Studios in Malaysia. Well, I say Malaysia, it feels like Malaysia because this is the fifth weekend of rain, but we're actually outside of Philadelphia in Media PA. Today we have Sanjay Patel as our honored guest, and Dr. Patel earned his medical degree from Ross University in Dominica. He completed his residency and chief residency at John H. Stroger Junior Hospital of Cook County in Chicago, Illinois. Since then, he's worked as a hospitalist and proceduralist at Cook County Hospital. In 2015, Dr. Patel has been the Director of Medical Procedure Service and POCUS Curriculum at the hospital. He oversees a team of five hospitalists and one nurse practitioner in performing and teaching resident physicians a variety of bedside procedures to include thoracentesis, paracentesis, lumbar punctures, and all things vascular access. He also created a POCUS curriculum for the internal medicine residency program, including a dedicated internal medicine POCUS elective for residents. He has been involved in a variety of procedural and POCUS teaching courses, both locally and nationally. He works on the teaching service at Cook County Hospital, training house staff and medical students from three different medical schools in the region. He is also core faculty for the residency program and has won various teaching and humanitarian awards at his institution. Dr. Patel. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Well, I fumbled through that introduction of your bio. You do, <laughs> you've done a lot of cool things. Um, humanitarian award, that pops out at me. What was that for? That was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected to win that award during my intern year and during my third year of residency for providing uh, good service care to our patients. And that was kind of a combined peer elected and uh, elected by faculty members. Hmm. That's interesting. So you're involved mostly with the use of POCUS for uh, hospitalists and generalists. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. So my my main focus is uh, kind of meshing focus in medical education. So my role here is, is part of the internal medicine residency program, but also knowing that uh, I was probably one of the few in general internists at our institution who kind of took an interest in focus. And now my goal here is not only residency and medical student education, but in uh, faculty development and helping some of our hospitalists learn a skill that uh, many of us never learned in medical school or residency. Um, that seems to be pervasive in, in medicine now. Yeah, I noticed the uh, the hospitalist field is, is growing with uh, SMH and um, or SHM. Um, more and more. So you basically you work for the hospital, not as a group outside. Just want to clarify. No, that. I'm employed by the county hospital here in Chicago. Okay, I see. And you've uh, advanced the POCUS education and residency programs with internal medicine. Yes, 
when I started, we had a little bit of a, a what was a medical procedure service, which is what I head up now. But uh, we've grown that into using ultrasound outside of just for procedural landmark guiding. So more into the diagnostic realm and using it on bedside rounds and using it for medical students to to help uh, uh, teach and emphasize the physical exam. And so a lot of different different applications depending on the uh, level of the learner. And you, you use the POCA sort of as an extension of the physical exam. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I... You know, I I I sometimes cringe at when I hear the uh, the, the that POCUS is gonna or that the ultrasound probe is gonna replace the stethoscope. It's it's uh, not meant to replace the the stethoscope. I, I believe its its role is a, a corollary to the stethoscope. So, you know, when I'm on a call day, when I'm on teaching service, I routinely have my ultrasound machine in one pocket and my stethoscope in the other pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you normally do go. Talk to a patient, do your physical exam, and then right then and there in the room, I often have some questions that I think I can answer with my ultrasound to help me guide some of my decision making and help me triage which tests need to be done in what order and what's more important in that moment. So, you know, probably the easiest example is somebody comes in with, you know, slam dunk heart failure. I can tell at the bedside if this is preserved ejection fraction or low ejection fraction, and then I can make my decision-making based on that. You know, I know right away mm-hmm. I can start treating right away for systolic heart failure if that's what it is. I, I'm surely going to order the, the formal TTE if one's never been done, and, you know, we need to look at the valve formally and so forth and have a cardiologist see the patient, see what other therapy the patient needs, but I know right then and there that I've I've got the diagnosis and I can start managing it earlier. Okay, so I'm going to speak to my engineer, Dave. Dave, you know, maybe we need to take out that intro, stethoscope of the future. I think we've offended Dr. Patel. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. The auscultation, you know, it's like you're like the two-gun kid. You know, you have the ultrasound and you have the uh, stethoscope. Makes sense to me. Right. At least, well, what I've heard from from colleagues and friends is at least the stethoscope is a good wheeze detector. You can't do that with the ultrasounds. So. Oh, absolutely! Listening to pulmonary rails and say, sure, right, makes sense to me. Do you? Uh, so let's talk about uh, the different certification pathways and the credentialing and ACGME requirements. How how do you integrate that? Tell us about it. Sure. So, you know, I think uh, one of the things many of us in internal medicine, there are folks like me all over the country are trying to to get this eventually incorporated into ACGME training mm-hmm. pathways, just like it has been for years for emergency medicine and critical care fellowships. Uh, unfortunately, we're not there at the moment, but what we, I think before we get there, we have to make sure that we have enough people to be able to educate the, the the new group of learners that are in medical school and residency now. So I think the focus right now has been on certification pathways. Um, there are, you know, cert, cert certifications like the one that APCA provides. Uh, there is certification by the Society for Critical Care Medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, SHM has joined with um, uh, ACCP uh, CHEST to be able to, to put out a joint certification pathway which encompasses live events, uh, live 
uh, on-site events. Workshops. Uh, yeah, I've looked at that. Workshops. That, that's a nice program. I've looked at that. That uh, a, a, a former colleague or friend of ours was instrumental in making that happen. So they've spent a lot of time putting that together. It's very yeah to build. Yeah, and I think it's great. There are a lot of hospitalists that are interested in it, and I think um, we just have to make sure that we emphasize that the certification doesn't necessarily make you an expert. It's it gets you kind of on the ground level to be able to run with it. But yes, you know, using it in clinical experiences is where you start to gain that expertise. Yes, I I went to their website and looked at the portfolio acquisition that you had to do. It was very thorough. I thought it was. I was impressed. Right. All right. So uh, I I want to turn back to procedures. So sure. when you guys are teaching, you know, some of these uh, procedures for, let's say, pulling off effusions or thoracentesis, paracentesis, which you mm-hmm. know can go wrong pretty easy. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so what do you do to sort of put the stamp, well, maybe an observational assessment? Uh, while you're training, how does that work for you guys? So we've we've developed an evaluation process for our residents. So our, we run a, a bedside procedure service that's fully staffed year, year round, and uh, it's basically a a senior elective for our second and third year residents who come and rotate with us for a couple weeks. So the first few days or the first few first week is getting familiar with some of the procedures that we do like you mentioned uh, before paracentesis thoracentesis Mm -hmm. so we we kind of combine you know we use our simulators in our simulation lab to be able to go over just the logistics of the procedure before anybody ever puts a needle into a patient then we go through and talk through it when we ha- do have a procedure at the bedside. The first few times, I'll usually go up in with the resident, and we will kind of co-do the procedure concurrently so they get a feel of the kits, a uh, feel of the different steps, yes. feel of using the ultrasound to be able to mark the location, uh, be able to look at other things. You know, I, I like to make sh- when we go in to do, you know, for example, a paracentesis, rather than just going and marking the spot, it's always nice to just clinically get some more information for our own education and for our own kind of diagnostic focus experience. So I always say, you know, yes, let's go mark the spot, but, you know, let's look at the spleen, let's look at the liver, let's look at the gallbladder, kind of do a a quick bedside abdominal ultrasound just so we know what things look like and, you know, maybe a lot of times at the bedside, even not knowing a lot of the clinical information, we can kind of theorize where the societies is coming from. You know, you see a cirrhotic liver and you're fairly certain yes. that this is what it is, or you, you know, lo and behold, been surprised every now and again, you see this large intra-abdominal mass and, mm-hmm. then, you know, then you kind of change your uh, clinical thinking. Now, the procedurally still will end up doing the same thing, but... So you got, you, you kind of... Uh... You do a little reconnaissance for diagnostic scanning, and then you do the procedural. That's a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good. And most of our residents want to learn some of the diagnostic stuff. So even though they're here with us for two weeks doing procedures, we want to emphasize that whenever we have the opportunity to do some of the diagnostic focus in addition to the procedural guidance with the ultrasound. So do you have any recent... uh interesting cases that come to mind 
Um, that's something really neat that's not the usual garden variety. You tell us about. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I won't repeat a case, but I think you had a colleague of mine, Gordy Johnson, on not too long ago. And, and uh, that's right. I worked with him going to, uh, I think he had talked about a case we'd seen in, in Haiti where we did a live morning report and we scanned a patient and ended up actually kind of similar to the scenario. I was just saying we were looking to drain the ascites, but as we were scanning around, we were doing some diagnostic focus. And instead of thinking that this was coming from the liver, we ended up finding what looked like a pelvic malignancy. Um, Mm. So that was kind of out of the blue and unexpected, but I, I won't go over that case again since I know Gordy went into some detail. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, he did. I remember that. He was talking about that. Yeah, yeah. I um, Probably the, 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 the case where, that I can think of uh, where it made probably the most impact on the spot for me was mm-hmm. a couple years ago. I was asked by one of my colleagues to come scan a patient uh, who had leg pain and leg swelling. So the, the, the ask was to, and the patient was anticoagulated already for a previous history of DVT and PE, but they just weren't sure what this leg swelling and pain was coming from. So they wanted to rule out, uh, you know, the patient having a new DVT. And mm-hmm. so we went to the bedside to do a two-point compression ultrasound. And when we were looking at the leg in the popliteal fossa, it just the back of the calf and the back of the knee was extremely swollen. So we, you know, we put the probe on and, you know, rather than looking for the popliteal vessel, what we ended up finding was this massive swelling and it looked like it was intramuscular. So I switched the probe out to the curvilinear probe so I could see a little bit deeper and see kind of the expanse of what was going on in it looked like a huge collection of fluid and it didn't look like a baker cyst. It definitely looked like some dense material fluid. So, you know, I told the attending right away, I said, you know, this looks like a hematoma, like a massive hematoma in the leg. And as we were examining the patient at the bedside, in addition to scanning, we were noticed that her extremity was cool and the pulses were weak. And so the attending, my colleague who had called me, you know, literally walked outside the room and called a vascular surgeon and said, you know, we need somebody to come evaluate this patient because I think she's developing a compartment syndrome from a hematoma. Mm -hmm. And they ended up, I think, wheeling her straight to a CT scan to confirm that and went straight to the OR within 30 minutes and, in in fact, did have this massive hematoma in her calf. Yikes. But luckily she did well. Well, that's good. Uh, If you're taking care of her, I'm sure she did. So, I appreciate that. <laughs> so listen, you know, I'm going to get to, let's talk about something fun. So, you know, things you like to do are traveling and cooking. So do you travel somewhere and then take a cooking class for that region or tell us, a, I don't know, where you've been lately? You're the world traveler I, here. The opposite. I actually, my, I've, I think I've brought my, roped my wife into this since we've been married is we will actually find restaurants that we've been dying to go to and plan trips accordingly. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we went to Copenhagen a few years ago. There's a restaurant there called Noma. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's wow. been rated like one of the best restaurants in the world and one of the best chefs in the world. And we literally planned an entire week-long trip around getting reservations to that restaurant. So. Oh, my goodness. And you are a big, um, you are a f- culinary fan. Wow, that's impressive. 
but I must say I was impressed in that to to date has probably been one of my favorite cities in the world. Do you do cooking yourself? I do. Yes. You got a favorite dish? Um, pretty much anything Mexican. I I can't really give you a, a favorite. My mm-hmm. my wife and I always joke about food and what kind of food we were in a past life. And <laughs> my wife, my wife will, or I always tell my wife she was either a potato or some <laughs> sort of block of cheese, and and I was probably a taco in my past life. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, listen, Doctor Patel, thank you for taking the time to be with us today on the show. We appreciate the audience out there for listening in. Don't forget that for even more POCUS Talk, follow us on Twitter at POCUS Academy and on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. Sanjay Patel, it was an honor to have you on our podcast, and I thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Have a good one up there in Chicago. Thanks. You too. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, Focus on POCUS. Be sure to tune in with us next week for more interviews with thought leaders that are on the forefront of global point-of-care ultrasound. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.